A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars Tales from the New Republic Edited by Peter Schwafer and Craig Carey Read by Decade Bird Publishing Featuring Joe Funderburk Jade Solitaire by Timothy Zahn Excuse me, folks, I'm looking for Talon Card. Mara Jade looked up from the engine monitor, peripherally aware that, on the other side of the board, Chin was doing the same. The voice coming from the direction of the Wild Card's bridge door was completely unfamiliar to her. As she discovered, was the face that came with the voice. Captain Card isn't here at the moment, Mara told the stranger, eyeing him narrowly. Just because they were in a familiar docking bay in a familiar port, was no reason why strangers should be wandering loose around the ship. How did you get in here? The man waved vaguely behind him. Oh, Dankin was back at the hatchway, and he let me in. Card and I are old friends, he and I go way back. Any idea when he'll be showing up? I really couldn't say, Mara said, throwing a glance at Chin. Someone who went way back with Card should logically go way back with Chin, too given how long the older man had been with the organization. But there was no recognition on Chin's face, either. If you'd like, you can leave a message. The man sighed deeply. No, I'm afraid that won't do. He waved toward the viewport behind them, and the bustling spaceport scene beyond it. Abruptly, the back of Mara's neck tingled with subtle warning. Her right hand dropped to the blaster holstered at her side. And froze there. The intruder's waving hand had abruptly split open down the middle, revealing the blaster that had been hidden inside the prosthetic shell. And I don't have time to wait for him either, he said, his voice as unconcerned as ever. My employer would like a word with all of you. He'd prefer you arrive undamaged, but he'd understand if that's not possible. Mara hissed softly between her teeth. On her own she knew, she could take him easily, trick weapon or no. But she wasn't alone and Chin didn't move nearly as fast as he used to. And whether by accident or design, the intruder's weapon was pointed squarely at the older man. No, better to find out what this mysterious employer wanted, and wait for a better opening. I'd hate to disappoint him, she said, lifting her hand away from her holster. Especially after such a gracious invitation. Please lead on. Though if he had harmed any of the wild card's crew getting inside, she promised herself darkly, her cooperation would be coming to a quick end. A painfully quick end. Fortunately for him, he hadn't. Sorry, Mara, Dankin apologized, looking rather sheepish as he and the rest of the crew piled out of the group of black-windowed landspeeders, in which their captors had brought them here. They got the drop on us at the hatchway. Don't worry about it, Mara said, glancing around as they were herded toward the side door of an ornate and well-guarded mansion. There was no indication of who the owner was, or even exactly where they were, though from the sounds of spacecraft in the distance they probably weren't more than a few kilometers from the spaceport. Let's see what all this is about. We can always get annoyed about it later. 
They were ushered through the front door up a staircase and along a corridor to a huge office whose luxury level left the rest of the mansion in the dust. A group of chairs had been set up facing a massive desk that looked to be nearly half the size of the wild card's entire bridge. And seated behind the desk, peering at them like a meat buyer assessing a passing herd of brulki, was a large, heavily built man. Thank you for coming, he said, his voice penetrating the distance without giving any impression that he was iron pushing the limits of his volume. Please be seated. Your invitation was hard to ignore, Mara told him, choosing the chair directly in front of him and sitting down. You might want to consider trying a more polite approach. If I'd had the time I would have, the round man said, glancing over them again. Where's Card? He's not here, Mara said. And not likely to bump into this meeting anytime soon, either, she added silently to herself. He was over in the Gecto system making some shipping arrangements, and wasn't due to return until tomorrow. She could only hope he wouldn't be as easily nabbed as the rest of them had been. I'm Mara Jade, currently in command of the wild card. What do you want? The man's eyes narrowed. Mara met his gaze evenly, after a few seconds, his face cleared and he even smiled slightly. Mara Jade, I've heard a great deal about you, young lady. Yes, you'll do nicely. Beside Mara, Dankin stirred as if he was about to speak. Mara shot him a quick glance and he subsided. Very good indeed, the large man murmured. Perfectly in command, both of yourself and of your people. Yes, you'll do. He took a deep breath. First, some introductions. My name is Jawbardrin. Perhaps you've heard of me. Mara kept her face steady, wincing inwardly at the ripple of surprise that ran through the rest of the crew. Of course they'd heard of the industrialist, half the sector had, but that was no reason to play into this false modesty, ego-stroking game of his. I think I've noticed your name go by once or twice in a footnote, she told him calmly. Under weapons and ship systems if I recall correctly. Usually dealing in market areas Awodi hasn't gotten to yet. She had the small satisfaction of drawing a flash of annoyance from him on that one. The Bardron Group and the Uodi Corporate had been jockeying for market position and prestige for over two decades now, a rivalry that was deep and bitter, and showed no signs of being resolved any time soon. Unfortunately, Bardron's brief flicker of anger subsided too quickly for her to use the lowered mental guard to pull any insight from his mind. But enough of this chit-chat, she continued. I'll ask again, what do you want? Bardron locked eyes with her. My daughter Sanja has been captured. I want you to rescue her. Mara frowned. I think your information sifters need a refresher course in how to do their job. We don't handle military operations. The mission requires a woman, Bardron said. A resourceful, competent, combat-trained human female. So go hire a mistral. Bardron shook his head. There's no time to contact them, even if I knew how to go about it. I have to get Sanja back now before her captors realize who it is they have. What are you talking about? O'Donnell spoke up. You said they kidnapped her. I said they captured her, Bardron countered, pinning O'Donnell into his chair with a single contemptuous glance. Kindly pay attention. He brought his gaze back to Mara. She and the Sorosu of 3,000 luxury yacht she was flying were taken by a pirate gang while in port on Maxer, and given to a slaver consortium headquartered on Torpress and run by a drachnum named Persh. He lifted his eyebrows slightly. I presume you've also come across that name in your footnote perusals. 
Once or twice, Mara conceded, suppressing a grimace. In the circles the wild card moved in, the name of Shea Persh was even more well-known than Bardrin's. I understand he makes the late and unlamented Jabba the Hutt look like a fine, upstanding citizen. Then you understand why I want Sanja and her ship out of his hands, Bardrin said, his voice suddenly low, and with an underlying edge of desperation. I know Card would have been willing to help me, but Card's not here. You, Jade, must make the decision. What about the authorities? Dankin spoke up. The Sector Patrol, or even the New Republic? And have them do what? Bardrin shot back. Request an audience with Persh. Mount an attack on his fortress that will leave it in ruins and everyone inside dead? Besides, their security leaks like rock sifters. If Persh learns who Sanja is, he'll bleed me for everything I own. And then kill her anyway. He looked at Mara, an almost pleading look in his eyes. Sanja will have been sent to work in the slime pits in his fortress, he said. He sends all human female captives there, some deep desire to humiliate them, I presume. You'll have to get them to take you in as another prisoner. Wait a minute, Mara cut him off. I've already told you we don't do this sort of work. Then you'd better learn how quickly, Bardrin rumbled, his earlier desperation changing abruptly into ominous threat. There's no time for me to get anyone else. You're it. Mara crossed her arms, bringing her hand close to the tiny blaster concealed inside her left sleeve. And if I refuse? There are twenty-four blasters concealed in the walls of this room, Bardrin said. Three trained on each of you. Before you could even pull that weapon clear, you'd watch your crewmates die around you. Mara flicked her eyes across the room, stretching out to the force as she did so. He was right, she could sense the alert presences hidden behind the ornately carved walls all around them. And if she hadn't been willing to risk Chin's life earlier, she certainly wasn't going to play games with the entire Wild Cards crew now. You didn't answer my question, she said, unfolding her arms. You won't refuse, Bardrin declared, leaning back in his chair. You see, you've just now given me all the leverage I need. You'll go to Torpress and bring back Sanja and her ship or I'll execute your entire crew. Someone off to her left inhaled sharply. You can't be that stupid, Mara said, trying to put confidence she didn't feel into her tone. Through the force she could read Bardrin's intentions, and knew he was deadly serious. You kill Card's people, and Card will come after you. And I guarantee he's not an enemy to trifle with. Neither am I, my dear, Bardrin said darkly. A contest between us might prove quite interesting. He leveled a thick finger at her. But regardless of the outcome, you would still have to live out your life with the knowledge that it was your obstinate stubbornness that had sent them to their deaths. I don't think that's a burden you really want to carry. There's no need to be quite so melodramatic, Mara said, forcing her frustration and anger deep down where it wouldn't show. To find herself being so easily manipulated was infuriating. But she had no choice. She was Card's second in command and she'd seen the concern and respect he consistently showed toward his people. She wasn't about to lower those high standards, and she certainly wasn't going to risk her people's deaths by refusing Bardrin. And everyone in the room knew it. I'll see what I can do. What can I have in the way of equipment? Anything you want, Bardrin said, standing up and waving a hand. Behind them, Mara heard the doors open. My people will escort your crewmates to their quarters, where they'll remain until you and Sanja return. 
You and I will go make whatever arrangements you need. Fine, Mara said, falling into step beside him as he passed between the entering lines of guards. But that didn't mean the matter would end with Sanja's rescue, she promised herself silently. Not by a long shot. Bardrin had told her that Persia's mansion and grounds were set up near the center of one of Torpress's larger cities. He had failed to mention, however, that that particular section of the city was otherwise composed entirely of slums. Or at least that was how it seemed to Mara, as she maneuvered her landspeeder down the winding streets toward the high walls of the compound, wincing at the garbage and debris piled in alleyways between the dilapidated buildings and trying not to hit any of the ragged derelicts shuffling along the street. A dozen different species were represented here, all looking equally hopeless, and she found herself wondering how much of it was a result of Prussia's presence in the city. Passing one final clump of huddled beings, she reached the side door she'd been told to come to. Flanking it were a pair of drachnum guards, looking even more massive than usual for the species in their heavy body armor. Each of them held a neuronic whip, with a holstered blaster and long knife standing ready in reserve. Hey there, she called cheerfully to them, eyeing the whips with the sort of contempt she reserved for unnecessarily barbaric weapons. I have a package here for his first greatness shape Hirsch, a gift from the Mrahash of Kvabya. May I enter? There was an almost chuckle quickly strangled off from one of the guards. Really, he said, lumbering toward her. Bring it here and let's have a look. Mara slid out of the vehicle and pulled the packing cylinder from the storage compartment and back. It was large, a good meter tall and half a meter in diameter, but fairly light, most of its bulk consisting of cushioning material for the delicate floater globe she'd borrowed from Bardrin. It's some kind of expensive art object, I think, she said, setting it carefully down in front of him. Oh, it's that, all right, the guard agreed, looking Mara up and down. Just a minute. He went back to the door and busied himself with a calm panel built into the wall. There was a breath of movement beside Mara. Leave it and go, an alien voice spoke quietly from behind her. Mara turned. A Togorian female was standing at the rear of the landspeeder, her fur matted and dirty, clearly just another of the derelicts loitering on the street. But her yellow eyes were bright and alive and her teeth were bared slightly toward the guards. Excuse me? Mara asked. I said leave it and go, the alien said, mouthing the ghee trade language words with some difficulty. You are in great danger here. Oh don't be silly, Mara said, shaking her head with casual unconcern, even as she wondered at the Togorian's courage in sticking her neck out this way. Clearly she knew or suspected what happened to human females who wandered near Prussia's fortress, but to try to chase a potential prize out from under the slaver's snout this way bordered on the suicidal. I'm just delivering a present to his first greatness, that's all. The Togorian hissed. Fool, you are the present, she snarled. Flee, while you still can. Okay, we're set, the guard said, keying off the comm unit and walking over to Mara. She turned back to him making sure to keep a pleasantly blank expression on her face. If he even suspected the Togorian had tried to warn her, there might be unpleasant repercussions. You can take it right in. Thank you, Mara said, stooping to pick up the cylinder. A gauntleted hand came down with a thunk onto the top of the package. After we unpack it, of course. Mara felt her muscles tighten. What do you mean? She asked cautiously, straightening up. The guard already had his knife out, 
a nasty-looking serrated weapon with a handguard consisting of a series of thick, needle-sharp spikes, alternatively curving up and down from the base of the blade. I mean we unpack it out here, he said, digging the blade in beneath the lid. Never can tell what someone might try to slip inside the packaging, you know. Lara flicked a glance over his shoulder at the second guard, a sense of things gone suddenly and terribly wrong rippling through her. Nestled in its hiding place between the inner and outer shells of the cylinder, she would have bet heavily that her lightsaber could slip through any standard weapons scan, Persia's guards might have put the package through. But unpacking it outside the fortress was not a possibility she'd expected. But what if you break it? she asked anxiously. Don't worry, we do this all the time, the guard assured her. Hishi, I thought I told you scavengers you were supposed to stay behind the mark line. Your pardon, the Togorian said, her tone almost groveling. I saw the shiny metal. And hoped you could get first grabs, huh? The guard finished slicing off the top and peeled away the first plate of packing foam. Here you go, scavengers, he called loudly, hurling the lid and the foam down the street. Abruptly, the gathered loiterers exploded into action, diving toward the flying pieces as if they were prized jewels instead of unwanted garbage. The guard continued digging down, throwing more foam plates into the melee, until he reached the floater globe at the center. There it is, he said, reaching in and carefully pulling out the globe. Nice. Okay, he added, handing the globe to Mara. Now you can go in. Mara swallowed, glancing down at the cylinder as the guard continued to unload the packaging from the bottom and throw out the pieces. She looked up, to find Hashi's yellow eyes steady on her. Mara felt her lip twitch, and then to her surprise, the alien bared her teeth slightly, as if she'd found a hint she'd been searching for. There was a movement from the side, and Mara looked back just as the guard hefted the cylinder itself over his head and hurled it toward the seething, quarreling crowd. A dozen of the derelicts abandoned their fight for the foam scraps and charged toward the spot where it would land. But as she was faster, with a single leap she got under the cylinder, snatching it into her arms and hissing a warning at the two or three who tried to grab it away. Another hiss, and the crowd reluctantly fell back. I guess she really did want the shiny metal, the guard said with a sneer. Okay, human, let's go. Despite the fortress's sleek and modern exterior, the interior was dark and decidedly dank, its twisting and rough-floored corridors clearly modeled on the hiding tunnels much prized by Drachnum on their homeworld. Mara didn't bother to keep track of the route as her five-guard escort took her ever deeper into the fortress, concentrating instead on evaluating Persia's overall defense structure and gradually increasing the level of nervousness she was displaying in her body language and in frequent attempts at conversation. Her lightsaber was going to be severely missed, but even if she'd been able to smuggle the weapon inside, she'd already concluded that the best hope of getting out would be in Sanja's impounded ship. Fighting their way back along the tunnels and out into the grounds was not an option she was interested in trying. Still, that lightsaber had been Luke's once, and he was going to kill her if she lost it. Hopefully when this was all over, she'd be able to track Hashi down and buy it back from her. They reached Prisha's audience chamber at last a large high-ceilinged room that by its gloom smells and general repulsiveness brought back unpleasant memories of Jabba the Hutt's throne room on Tatooine. His first greatness obviously lacked Jabba's egalitarian sensibilities though. The only beings in the room were more of Prish's fellow Drachnum. Well well, Prish called, swiveling his throne around to face the incoming group. What have we here? A present from the Mrahash of Kfabia is it? 
Yes, your first greatness, Mara said, putting a nervous quaver into her tone as she glanced surreptitiously around. There was a pair of camouflage blaster ports in the false wall behind Persia's throne, but other than that the only defenses were the handful of guards standing between her and the slaver chief. Unlike the door wardens, this group carried no blasters, but were armed only with the same type of long knives and neuronic whips. Probably the intent was to keep the more dangerous weapons away from rioting prisoners or slaves, still, it was an overconfidence she might well be able to exploit. He sends you greetings and take that bauble, someone. Prish cut her off, waving a gem-encrusted scepter toward her. You human, step forward. One of the guards took the floater globe and nudged her forward. Stretching out with all her senses, Mara walked toward the throne. Somewhere along here there would undoubtedly be a test to make sure she was nothing more than the useless slave she appeared. She'd gone no more than three steps when it came. Abruptly, one of the guards ahead pulled his whip from his side, and with a casual flick of his wrist, sent the lash snaking toward her. Mara gasped and threw her hands uselessly in front of her face, forcing back the reflex to dodge or duck or do something anything that would be more effective. To her relief, the lash cracked a few centimeters short of her face. Your first greatness, she gasped, taking a quick and unsteady step backward. Please sir, what have I done? The only answer was the sound of another whip from behind her. She half turned and suddenly the lash curled itself around her knees, and a wave of pain surged through her body. Ah! Mara screamed, an explosive sound that was only partially role-playing, as she toppled onto the floor, the whip's current arcing agonizingly through her body. She clawed once at the lash, screaming again as the current burned at her fingertips. Please no, please. Here defend yourself, a voice called out, and she looked up as a small blaster landed on the floor beside her legs. She grabbed at the weapon, forcing her fingers to fumble as if dealing with a totally unfamiliar object, clenching her teeth against the waves of pain, as every part of her being screamed at her to do something. The blaster was undoubtedly useless, just another part of Persia's sadistic test, but if she swiveled on one hip, swinging her legs hard around, she might at least be able to yank the whip out of her attacker's hand. But if she did that, if she showed any sign of combat skill whatsoever, she would probably die and then so would the wild card's crew. She got a grip on the blaster at last, bending awkwardly around to try to bring the weapon to bear on her assailant. The muzzle wavered uncontrollably, and she tried to prop her elbow on the floor to steady it, sobbing now like a child. The blaster sagged and dropped from her paralyzed fingers. And abruptly, thankfully, the current shut off. Mara lay there, unmoving, still sobbing through clenched teeth, as she worked out the sudden cramps in her leg muscles. If she'd misjudged Persia's intentions, if he'd decided to kill her for sport instead of putting her down in the slime pits. That was an object lesson, Persh said conversationally. There was a movement beside her, and rough fingers began unwrapping the lash from around her legs. Now that you've seen what a neuronic whip feels like, I'm sure you won't ever want to provoke its use again. No, please, no, Mara managed the words coming out mangled through her gasping sobs. A pair of hands grabbed her upper arms and hauled her up onto her feet. She took a second to confirm that her legs were recovered enough to hold her weight, then let her knees wobble and collapse again beneath her. The two drachnum pulled her up again and turned her to face Persh. Please, she whispered. You belong to me now, Persh said quietly, his colorless eyes staring at her. Your safety, your well-being, your life are all in my hand.
If you serve well, you will survive. If not, there will be neuronic whips around you for the remainder of a short and excruciatingly painful life. Do I make myself clear? Lara nodded quickly, dropping her gaze and hunching her shoulders, the helpless terror of a beaten animal. Good, Kirsch said, waving offhandedly toward a different door leading out of the chamber. The show was over, and already he was bored with the performer. Take her to the slave keeper, he ordered. Enjoy your new life here, human. Halfway down a long flight of stairs her escorting guards apparently decided they'd had enough of carrying her, and cut her loose to walk on her own. Aside from a lingering tingle in her muscles Mara had completely recovered, but she was careful to maintain a weak-kneed stagger for their benefit the rest of the way down. Neuronic whips were the ultimate glorification of savagery and degradation, just the sort of thing Prussia's thugs would use as their primary persuader, and she had no intention of letting them know how fast she could recover from their effects. The slime pits were in the lowest level of the fortress, composed of a series of interconnected trenches about two meters wide, and a hundred meters long set into the floor. On the walkways between them strolled the drachnum guards, idly fingering their whips or playing with the hilts of their knives. Perhaps two hundred women, most of them young-looking, slogged slowly through the waist-deep gray muck in the pits, bent over double with their arms dug into the slime, their faces bare centimeters above the surface. All those Mara could see wore identical expressions of blank hopelessness that sent a shiver through her. I'll explain it just once, the slave keeper said, gesturing almost genially toward the pits. The nutrient slime in there is home to the pupil form of the chrysor creatures his first greatness uses to patrol the grounds. The pupae are hard-shelled and ellipsoid, about the size of one of your pathetic little thumbs. Your job is to find the ones that are starting to break out of their shells and put them up on the walkway where they'll be retrieved and moved to the main hatchery. How do I know when they're ready? You'll know when they're ready when they start to wiggle and chew their way out the slave-keeper cut her off sharply. A couple of heads turned at the sudden harsh tone, most of the women didn't even bother to look up. And don't try just pulling out everyone you find. If the pupae are out too long before they're ready, they'll die. He waved his whip in front of her nose. And dead pupae make us very unhappy. Understood, Mara swallowed, forcing herself to shrink back from him. Yes, sir, she murmured. Good, the slave-keeper said, his tone back to genial again, a being who clearly enjoyed his work. Your head fur is an interesting shade of color. It will be of no use to you in the pits, perhaps you would like to sell it to me. In exchange for what? Mara asked cautiously. Favors. More food, perhaps, or other kindnesses. Mara fought back a grimace. The thought of her hair hanging from a slave-keeper's trophy wall was utterly abhorrent. But on the other hand, he could probably take it without any payment at all if he chose. Hopefully she wouldn't be here long enough for him to get around to that. Can I think about it? She asked timidly. He shrugged. Clearly, this was just a game to help him pass the time. If you wish. Oh, one more thing. If you don't get the pupae out fast enough, they'll start digging through the shells on their own. No problem with that, except that their mouth palps are always the first things that come out. If they get those into your skin, you'll need a trip to the med facility to get it taken off. Oh, Mara said in a small voice. Now that was very useful information. Does it hurt? He gave her one of those evil smiles that Drachnum did so well. No more than the whip. Now get in there. 
Mara looked down at her jumpsuit. But, she didn't even get a chance to finish her protest. Putting a massive arm around the back of her waist, the slave-keeper swept her off the walkway into the nearest of the trenches. She managed to hang on to her balance as she landed, keeping her head and most of her torso up out of the slime. But the impact sent a wave of thick muck splashing outward at the nearest workers. Sorry, she apologized. One of the women looked up at her, a dab of the slime oozing slowly down her cheek. Don't worry about it, she said in a voice that sounded more dead than alive. Don't worry about getting dirty either. You'll never be clean again. A neuronic whip cracked warningly overhead. Mara shied back, but the other woman didn't seem to notice or care, as she dug into the slime again. Stomach twisting with revulsion, Mara eased her arms into the muck and got to work. It took her three hours of nauseating, backbreaking sifting before her search pattern finally paid off. Your name's Sanja? She asked quietly as she came up beside the woman, whose hollow bardron had showed her earlier. The other woman looked up at her, eyes narrowing suspiciously. Yes, she acknowledged warily. What about it? Mara glanced casually around. None of the drachnum were in earshot at the moment. A close relative of yours asked me to get you out of here. She'd expected elation, or barely contained joy, or at least a certain amount of surprise. But Sanja's reaction wasn't any of those. Did he really? She said, her voice dark and scornful. How very kind of him, Mara frowned. You don't seem very pleased. Oh, I'm overjoyed, Sanja said sarcastically. The joy is merely tempered by a somewhat cynical disbelief. You're what, some kind of mercenary? Not exactly, Mara said. Disbelief in what? In Daddy Deer's motivations, Sanja said, digging down into the slime. Let me guess. He told you about my terrible plight, and how important I am to him and the business, and that he would do anything and give anything to get me back. Once you were properly teary-eyed, he turned up the heat and either talked, maneuvered, or bribed you into charging here to my rescue. Right so far? Close enough, Mara said cautiously. Sanja's hand came out of the slime holding one of the Krizer pupae. She glanced at both the long ends, then tossed it back in behind her. But though he desperately wanted his darling daughter back, he also made it clear, subtly of course, that he wanted the ship back even more. In fact, he probably gave you all the access and command codes you'd need to get it flying whether I was with you or not. Am I still right? Mara felt her throat tighten. He said I needed to be able to fly the ship if you were incapacitated during the escape. Sanja snorted. That sounds like him. Plausible straight to the top, but phony as imperial confidence. The fact is Merc, that he doesn't care about me one single bit. If he did, he wouldn't have sent me to Maxer on that half-daft run in the first place. He wants the winning gamble back, pure and simple. Mara glanced around again. One of the guards across the way was eyeing her, and she dug her arms again into the slime. What's so special about the ship? Oh, it's just about three levels past state-of-the-art, that's all, Sanja said bitterly. It's got an incredible flight system, an unbelievable weapons targeting array, and a crazy one-of-a-kind defensive shootback system, I think Daddy must have stolen from somewhere. Mara studied her face, stretching out with the force to try to get a feel for her mind. The same bitterness she could hear in Sanja's voice was indeed roiling through her emotions. So what are you saying? She asked. That you don't want me to try to get you out of here? Sanja's eyes slunk away from Mara's gaze. I'm just telling you how it is, she muttered. 
Maybe warning you that somewhere along the line he's probably going to try to force your hand. Try to get you to run without me. I guess I thought you should be ready for that. And was hoping against hope that, unlike her father, her rescuer had a conscience. Thanks for the warning, Mara said. Her fingers touched something hard in the slime, one of the elusive Krizer pupae. It just means we'll need to move up the timetable a little, she added, pulling the pupa to just above the surface where she could examine it. The entire shell was solid, clearly, this one wouldn't be poking its jaws out any time soon. Perfect. Where will they take us after we're finished here? Across the hall to a really disgusting barracks-style sleeping room, Sanja said. For the first time since their conversation began Mara could sense the faint whisperings of cautious hope in the other woman's voice and emotions. They'll let us wash up, then feed us. Showers or tubs? More like animal watering troughs than real tubs, Sanja said contemptuously. Once they bring you down here, you're never clean again. Yes I've heard that, Mara said. All the more reason not to hang around any longer than we have to. Are there surveillance cams in the room? There are a couple of obvious ones near the door. Probably a whole bunch of non-obvious ones hidden around too. Okay, Mara said. One more question, how long to the shift change? Sanja peered across the room at a set of glowing emblems embedded in the wall. Not long. Maybe ten minutes. Good, Mara said. I have a couple of things to pick up first, so I'll catch up with you in the sleeping room. Get washed up fast, and be ready to move as soon as I get back. Sanja was eyeing her suspiciously, but she nodded. I'll be ready, she said. Good luck. Mara nodded and moved on, holding the chrysor shell she'd found beneath the surface as she slogged along, wanting to put a little distance between her and Sanja before she made her move. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw one of the drachnum walking purposefully down the walkway toward her, flicking his whip into the air as he came, no doubt preparing a comment and object lesson about idle chat while on duty. Mara let him get almost within whip range. And with the most spine-curling scream she could muster, she swung her left arm up, clutching the forearm with her right hand. It's got me, she yelped, flailing around and sending bits of slime flying through the air all around her. Get it off, get it off. The drachnum reached the edge of her trench in a single bound. Get your hand out of the way, he snapped, leaning precariously over her, as he caught her left wrist and hauled her bodily up out of the pit. The movement brought her up against his belted knife, and she winced as the needle-sharp spikes of the handguard dug briefly into her ribs. I said move it, he repeated, dropping her onto her feet on the walkway and prying her right hand away from its grip. To reveal the chrysor shell hanging from the underside of her left arm. Or at least, that was what Mara hoped it looked like. Her force-manipulating skills might not be as good as Luke Skywalker's, but it was no big trick to use the force to hold the shell pressed firmly against her arm, as if the creature inside were hanging on. The only danger was that the guard might brush off the glob of slime strategically placed at the intersection point, and notice that there were no chrysor palps linking the shell to the arm. But after all the times this had undoubtedly happened, the guard was clearly uninterested in the details. Got one there all right, he growled, shifting his grip to her right hand and pulling her along the walkway toward the door. Hey, your seventh greatness? Yeah, go ahead, the slave-keeper told him, gesturing the guards flanking the door to open it. Tell Blath to be careful this time, his first greatness isn't going to like it if he loses another one. The door opened. A second drachnum stepped to Mara's left side as they headed out 
taking her left arm and holding it in an iron grip at the level of her waist, probably Mara decided, making sure she didn't knock the krizer off against her side. The door slammed shut, and the three of them headed at a fast walk down the corridor. Mara didn't know where the med facility was, but odds were it wasn't very far away, which meant she had to move fast. She continued to moan and cry like a helpless and broken slave, as the drachnum half dragged her along, struggling ineffectually in her supposed pain against the casually unbreakable grips of her two escorts. She glanced down to her left. The second guard's knife was bouncing along only a few centimeters from where he was holding her left arm pinioned. And here was going to be the riskiest part of her plan. With both of her arms under their control, the two drachnum wouldn't be expecting any trouble from her, and should therefore be less watchful than they might be otherwise. But if that assumption proved false, there was going to be some serious and immediate trouble. But there was nothing for it but to try. Stretching out to the force, she slid the knife partially out of its sheath, monitoring the alien's mind closely to see if he would notice the sudden change in weight at his belt. Carefully, trying not to jar the weapon, she eased the spiked handguard up against her left forearm near the spot where she was still holding the chrysor pupa in place. Two quick jabs, two stabs of genuine pain against the backdrop of her agony act, and she eased the knife down into its sheath again. Just in time. The knife was barely back in place when the guard on her right brought her to a halt at a side door, shoving the panel open with his free hand. Shifting her attention to the chrysor pupa riding her arm, Mara sent it spinning away down the dingy corridor ahead of them. After the darkness everywhere else inside the fortress, the medical facility was something of a surprise, bright clean and reasonably well equipped, with a tiled floor, and even some sections of wood paneling. And the reason for the altered decor was immediately apparent, the medic wasn't a drachnum. Sit down, a tired-looking Bith in a slightly shabby medic's tunic said, coming around a desk and gesturing them to the room's lone treatment table. His tone was brisk, but his face and hands betrayed the edge of nervousness that Mara suspected was probably a common condition among non-drachnum in Persia's employ. Where is the pupa? The guard on Mara's left lifted her arm. It's right, O oh Pustina. It's gone. It must have fallen off, the Bith said, the tension in his voice suddenly jumping sharply. His eyes flicked guiltily toward the wall to the left. You two had better go see if you can find it. The two guards didn't argue, but charged immediately back out into the corridor. Did you notice it fall off? The Bith asked, turning Mara's arm over and starting to clean the residual slime away. No, I didn't, Mara said, putting some whining fear into her voice, as she looked past the medic's large head. Through an open doorway in the back of the treatment room, she could see a large supply cabinet. Stretching out to the force, she eased the transperisteel cabinet doors open a few millimeters. The labels on the vials were too far away to read, but if the colors and bottle shapes followed conventional New Republic pharmaceutical standards, the three she was looking for were there. Lifting one of the vials off its shelf, she slid it quickly down along the wall to the floor. There was no way to know where the surveillance cam back there was located, but there was nothing she could do about it from out here anyway. She could only hope the bottle's sudden movement wouldn't be noticed by whoever his first greatness had monitoring the spy displays. Getting a grip on the second bottle, she lowered it to the floor beside the first. Odd, the Bith said. He had that section of her arm clean now, and was peering at the two puncture marks she'd made with the guard's knife. These don't look like chris or palpal indentations at all. Are you certain that was what grabbed you? I don't know, Mara moaned, 
moving the last of the three vials to the floor, and then snagging a couple of small squeeze bottles and adding them to her collection. All I know is that it hurt. It hurt a lot. She could sense the sympathy and frustration in the bith. Yes, I know, he murmured. It is not an easy life for you down here. No, she said, half sobbing, as she moved her prizes across the floor to the examination room doorway. Whoever was on surveillance duty might reasonably be expected to ignore an empty supply room, but a room occupied by a human slave, and Bith Medic was another matter entirely. She had to take out the surveillance cam in here, before she could bring the bottles the rest of the way to her. Ow! Oh, she gasped suddenly, half pulling her left arm out of the Bith's grip, as she quickly studied the wall he'd glanced at earlier. The cam, clearly designed to be hidden, was fairly obvious to someone of Mara's training and experience, a small lens masquerading as a knot-hole in the wooden paneling. I am sorry, the Bith said, and she caught his mixture of concern and puzzlement, as he immediately eased his grip on her arm. There should not be anything where I was touching that should hurt. Well it did, Mara said petulantly. With the fingers of her right hand, she surreptitiously dug a wad of slime from the hardening mass caking her legs. They were whipping me earlier up in that big open place, ow. She snatched her left arm away from him again, flailing this time with her right as well. The motion sent a half-dozen small globs of slime spinning across the room. And with a little help from her force abilities, the largest of the globs splattered into the wall squarely over the hidden surveillance cam. Again, I am sorry, the Bith said, glancing over at the wall. He took a second look, his whole body stiffening suddenly as he realized what had happened. Excuse me, he said, grabbing up a towel and hurrying over to the wall. And with the cam still covered, and the medic's attention elsewhere, Mara brought her vials and squeeze bottles flying across from the doorway, and dropped them smoothly down the front of her jumpsuit. By the time the Bith finished his cleanup job, they were safely nestled in the folds of material at her waist. My apologies, he said, as he put the towel in the disposal and returned to her. The nutrient can damage the wall material you see, which his first greatness was kind enough to allow me. And he would be in serious trouble if he allowed the cam to stay covered too long. Probably. It's okay, Mara muttered. Once again, she was just in time. The Bith had just taken her arm again, when the two drachnum guards clumped back into the room. Nothing, one of them snarled, glaring suspiciously at Mara. What did you do with it? Well, Mara shrank away from him. Nothing, she said, her voice frightened and pleading. Please, I didn't do anything. Then where is it? The drachnum demanded, taking a threatening step toward her, neuronic whip in hand. Perhaps it was a chrysor which was still immature, the Bith spoke up, holding a hand up protectively between Mara and the guard. Its grip was weak and not completely firm. Then where is it now? The second guard put in. It was attached to her, I saw it. If it's not in the corridor, it must still be in the growth room, the Bith said reasonably. Perhaps it fell off again into the nutrient pits. The guards continued to glare, and Mara held her breath if either of them had actually looked at the pupa after they left the room. But apparently neither of them had. Yeah, the guard said with ill grace. Maybe, the Bith glanced at a wall chrono. At any rate, the work shift is over, he said. Why not escort her back to the communal, and then you can search the walkways in the growth room. Don't tell us our job, Bith, the other guard growled, baring his teeth as he grabbed Mara's arm in a none-too-gentle grip. 
Come on, human. Time for your slops. The mass sleeping slash eating slash cleanup room Sanja had spoken about was directly across the corridor from the slime pits. It was also fully as disgusting as her tone had led Mara to expect. About half of the women had finished their cleaning by the time Mara arrived, leaving the liquid in the long troughs looking more like a runnier version of the slime than anything resembling water. Mara joined the crowd of women waiting their turn, and under cover of the bodies pressing around her, she worked the vials out of her jumpsuit, and confirmed that they did indeed contain the chemicals she wanted. Once again, the comprehensive saboteur training the emperor had given her so long ago was going to come in handy. I thought you were kidding about going to pick up some things. Sanja's voice came softly from behind her shoulder, too low for any of the other women around them to hear. Where did you get those? Medic supply cabinet, Mara told her, concentrating on the task of pouring the first vial into one of the squeeze bottles, keeping them both at waist height where the activity would be shielded from prying eyes. Sanja made a sound in the back of her throat. I suppose it's too late to mention this, but the med facility probably has surveillance cams too. I know, Mara said. Don't worry, I took care of it. Here hold these. She passed over the empty vial and full squeeze bottle, giving Sanja a quick once-over as she did. Despite the other woman's efforts to clean up, her hair and clothing were still badly streaked and stained with the slime she'd spent the day in. Whatever Persia's reasons for hating human females Mara decided darkly, he'd honed his campaign of degradation to a fine edge. I didn't think you were going to come back, Sanja said, her voice sounding a little odd, as Mara began filling the second squeeze bottle from one of her other vials. I'm glad I was wrong. I'm used to being underestimated, Mara assured her. You think you can find your way to where your ship's being kept? As I would the road back home from an execution ground, Sanja said feelingly. Good. Describe the route for me. Even without looking she could sense the sudden tension in Sanja's mind and body. Why do you need to know? The other woman asked cautiously. We're going to be together, right? We could get separated, Mara pointed out patiently. Or you could be hurt or otherwise incapacitated. I don't want to have to lug you around and look for the way out at the same time. There was a short pause. I suppose that makes sense, Sanja conceded reluctantly at last. Okay. You head out the door over there and turn right. She went through the whole route, describing each turn and intersection in precise terms. Clearly, the woman had an eye for detail. By the time she finished, the second squeeze bottle was full. And they were ready. Okay, Mara said, handing Sanja the second empty vial and taking the full squeeze bottle back from her. Ditch those empties somewhere out of sight, and then move over toward the door. You ever have fire drills in here? Sanja blinked. Not since I arrived, no. Well, you're going to have one now, Mara said. When the drachnum come barging in, make sure you don't get run over. Other than that, just wait near the door until I come for you. Understood. Sanja took a deep breath. Good luck. She moved away from Mara, easing gingerly through the press of still slime-covered women. Mara stayed with the crowd, moving slowly forward as places at the trough opened up, running through a slow mental countdown, and wondering if she could risk cleaning up a bit herself before they made their break. Probably shouldn't take the time, she reluctantly decided. The Bith would notice the missing vials the first time he looked into the supply cabinet, and he'd probably be as quick to report the loss as he'd been to scrape the slime off the surveillance cam. The last woman in front of her moved away, and Mara was finally in position. 
Palming her last full vial, she stepped to the trough, and with a smooth wave of her arm, she poured its contents into the filthy water. And with an angry hiss, the trough abruptly erupted with a sizzle of flame and a cloud of yellow smoke. There were a half-dozen piercing screams, as women whose minds had been systematically reduced to near catatonia, woke up enough to claw their way back from this sudden and inexplicable danger. The smoke continued to billow up and out, and within seconds the room was impossible to see across. There were more screams and shouts, the thudding of feet and colliding bodies, as a sudden panic gripped women who had nearly lost the ability to feel emotion of any sort. There was no place to go, no place to hide, and they all knew it. Persia's guards were faster on the uptake than Mara had expected them to be. She was barely halfway to the door, pushing her way through the chaos, when the heavy panel slammed in and a dozen of the drachnum thundered into the room. Mara caught a glimpse of heavy extinguisher canisters as they passed her on their way to the smoking trough. And then she'd made it to the door, and Sanja was at her side. What did you do? The other woman hissed. Just a little chemical diversion, Mara said, peering through the smoke at the doorway. Not all the guards had charged to the rescue of Prussia's precious slave laborers, two of them were blocking the corridor just outside the room, neuronic whips held ready for any attempt by the slaves, to take advantage of the confusion. Stay behind me, she added, getting one of her squeeze bottles in each hand, and stepping out the door. One of the guards snorted at this slim human female apparently challenging them. Where do you think you're? He never got to finish his question. Raising her hands, Mara squeezed a shot of liquid from one of her bottles into each of the guards' faces. They sputtered, lunging forward, even as they tried to turn away from the stream of spattering fluid. Crossing her wrists, Mara switched aim and gave each guard's face a dose from the other bottle. And with howls that shook the corridor, both drachnum dropped their whips and staggered back away from the women, hands clutching at their faces. Come on! Mara snapped to Sanja. Ducking between the drachnum, she snatched up one of the fallen whips and headed at a dead run down the corridor. She reached across corridor just as another pair of drachnum came around it. Gaping they grabbed for their whips, but before they could get them into position, Mara's lash snaked out, wrapping around both of their necks. They bellowed almost as loudly as the last pair had, as they fell into a tangle of arms and legs onto the stone floor. Mara plucked a replacement whip from one of their hands, and continued past. This way, Sanja called in the lead now. At the next corridor we turn right up the stairs. Stop them. A voice bellowed from behind them. Mara glanced back over her shoulder, her senses tingling with sudden danger. And ahead of her, Sanja screamed. <coughs> Mara twisted back around, her whip already in motion. Two drachnum had appeared from ambush out of doors on opposite sides of the corridor, both their whips now wrapped around a violently twitching Sanja. Mara snapped her whip at the attacker on the left, catching him a glancing blow across shoulder and back as he ducked away. He snarled something vicious as the current shot briefly through him, but he managed to keep his grip on his own whip. Mara brought the lash back over her shoulder and sent it toward the other drachnum. And then, without warning, the weapon abruptly seemed to catch in midair the sudden loss of momentum nearly yanking it out of her hand. A movement above her caught her eye and she looked up. To see that the rocky ceiling overhead had vanished, replaced by a forest of thick multi-barbed spines pointing down toward her. Her lash had hung up on them, hopelessly entangled among the barbs. 
Foolish human, Persia's voice purred from some hidden speaker amid the thicket. You didn't really think I would rely solely on neuronic whips and drachna muscle to keep my slaves in line, did you? Mara ignored him, heading toward the two guards still pinioning Sanja in place between them. With their whips locked around her, they had only their knives left in reserve. Stop, Persh ordered, all the levity gone from his voice. I don't particularly want to kill you, human, but I will if you force my hand. Mara kept going. Both guards had their knives out now, and had half turned to point them at the suicidal human charging toward her death. Mara stretched out toward the blades with a force, preparing to twist them aside at just the right moment. And then, behind her two opponents, the corridor was suddenly filling with drachnum. Mara came to a reluctant stop, the sour taste of defeat in her mouth. Force skills or not, imperial combat training or not, there was no way she could take on the entire garrison by herself. Not here, not now. I'm willing to make a deal, she called toward the ceiling. I'm sure you are, Persh said, purring again. Guards, release the second woman, and bring them both to my audience chamber. I have some questions I want to ask our scrappy little fighter. With Sanja still suffering from the partial muscular paralysis brought on by the neuronic whip, their progress up the stairway and along the stony corridors was decidedly slow. Mara supported the other woman as they walked, the guards glowering around them the whole way. Several times Mara asked for their help in carrying the injured woman, requests that went ignored. Which was, of course, precisely the response, or lack of it, that she'd hoped for. With the task of supporting Sanja falling totally on her, she was able to adjust the timing and stall off their arrival at Persia's audience chamber, until Sanja was mostly recovered from her ordeal. Any fresh escape attempt they were able to make, after all, would be considerably simplified if they were each able to do their own running. It was quickly clear, though, that Persh had no intention of making any such attempts easy for them. From the number of drachnum lined up against the walls or standing in a protective ring around Persh's throne, it looked like his first greatness had half his garrison in here. Looks like you're having a party, Mara commented, as she and Sanja were led to within a couple of meters of the inner guard ring. Are you that afraid of us? Oh, the guards are merely here in hopes you'll give them an excuse to avenge what you did to Brock and Zik outside the slave quarters, Persh said offhandedly. I'm curious, where did you obtain the acid you sprayed into their faces? I borrowed the ingredients from your dispensary, Mara told him. There was no point in deflecting the question. If they hadn't noticed the thefts yet, they would soon enough. It's just a matter of knowing which chemicals to mix. Interesting, Persh said, leaning back in his throne and regarding Mara with a mixture of curiosity and suspicion. Hardly the sort of knowledge a slave sent by the Merhash of Kfabi should be expected to have, he shrugged elaborately. But of course that's an irrelevant comment, isn't it? Given that you weren't sent by the Merhash of Kfabia. Mara felt her throat tighten. Bardrin had assured her that the Mrahash was currently out of the sector, and that there was no way Persh could check out her cover story. Of course he sent me, she said, stretching out to the alien's mind, trying to figure out if this was some kind of trick. Spare me your lies, Persh said, his voice suddenly harsh. And no, there was no trickery in his thoughts. I have a communication from the Mrahash himself, saying he's never heard of you. In fact, I was just about to send for you when you made your pitiful escape effort. I told you Daddy would try to force you to leave without me, Sanja murmured. A whip cracked from the side and Sanja jerked, inhaling sharply in pain. Mara glanced at her, 
saw the bright streak of blood across her cheek. If you have something to say, you will say it to me, Prish said coldly. And you will start by telling me who you are and exactly why you're here. And if I don't? Mara asked. Prish's gaze shifted to Sanja. We'll start the persuasion with your friend here. I don't think you want to hear the details. Mara looked around the room, searching for a chink, any chink in Prisha's defenses. But there wasn't one. About all she could do now was refuse to talk and hope there would be fewer guards to deal with in whatever torture chamber they took her and Sanja to. Unless they didn't plan to let her watch. Or worse, let her watch on a monitor from a different location entirely. That would mean letting them put Sanja under a knife. A quarter of the way across the room, one of the guards at the chamber's main entrance door abruptly stepped forward, a calm link in his hand. Your first greatness, a word if I may, he called toward the throne. I've just received word that there is new evidence of who this spy is. Excellent, Prish said, swiveling his throne around to face that direction. Bring it to me. The guard spoke into the calm link, and the door opened to reveal two more Drachnam and Hashi, the Togorian scavenger Mara had met briefly outside the palace wall. Clutched in Hashi's hands was a section of the packing cylinder Bardron's floater globe had been in. The section that had had Mara's lightsaber concealed in it. Mara clenched her hands tightly, as the trio marched through the assembled guards toward the throne. Any chance she and Sanja might have of escaping was going to depend heavily on the fact that Persh didn't know about her force abilities. If she showed the lightsaber to him, that advantage would vanish in that same heartbeat. She had to make her move before that happened. But there was still no chance. A drachnum on either side of her, more of them crowding the room, the packing cylinder section too far away for her to rip out the inner lining and get the lightsaber out. Who is this? Persh demanded. A scavenger from the street, one of the guards said. This is a section of the packing cylinder which the human brought your gift in. He reached over to take the cylinder section from Hashi. The Togorian pulled it away from him. It is mine to show, she hissed. My discovery. My reward. Just let her bring it, Persh said, gesturing impatiently. Show me this supposed evidence. Deliberately Mara thought, she looked over at the two women. Then, stepping through the inner ring of guards, she held the cylinder section up in front of Persh. You see here, she said, pointing a claw to the bottom. It is the marking seal of the Oodi corporate. What? Sanja muttered as Persh leaned close to look, and Mara could sense her sudden confusion and suspicion. If her would-be rescuer was actually from their Oodi competitors instead of from her father. Quiet, Mara muttered back, frowning in some confusion of her own. There hadn't been any marking seals on the cylinder, she'd made sure of that. Had the Togorian mixed her cylinder up with some other piece of garbage? That is indeed the Oodi symbol, Prish agreed, taking the section from Ashi and turning his gaze on Mara again. So that's what this is all about, is it? Oodi wants their new toys back. Mara didn't reply, her eyes on Ashi as she tried to figure out what was going on. But the Togorian's expression was totally unreadable. Yes, that must be it, Persh decided. And I suppose I should have expected this. I must congratulate you on your speed and efficiency in locating me. It's been, what, only a week since that particular acquisition. Yet perhaps the efficiency is only an illusion, your first greatness. One of the Drachnum spoke up, eyeing she suspiciously. 
Recall that all the packing from the Uodi acquisition was similarly thrown to the scavengers. This alien could have obtained one of the marking seals and transferred it to this cylinder. No, Prish told him. The seal has the proper edge engraving carved into the metal around it. It's genuine. He gave Mara a smile that sent an involuntary shiver down her back. Besides, why else would a warrior of such skill deliberately step beneath my hand as she has? Mara looked back at Hashi. The Togorian was gazing back at her now, and as their eyes met, she lifted a hand to casually rub at her neck, stretching her claws a little further from the ends of her fingers as she did so. Was she trying to show Mara how she'd faked the edge engraving? Or was there some other message there? And suddenly Mara got it. I don't know what kind of trick this is supposed to be, your first greatness, she called, putting an edge of scorn into her voice. But it's a pretty feeble one. I can tell from here that's not part of the cylinder I brought, Prish face darkened. Can you really? he rumbled. What remarkably good eyes. Or what a remarkable wretched memory. Perhaps that memory needs some encouragement. Perhaps a closer look at it would help, your first greatness, she suggested. I think not, Prish bit out. The preliminary games are over. She's refused to play. He glared at Mara. Your last chance, warrior, to do this the easy way. She glanced at Mara, her expression suddenly looking stricken. Mara lifted her eyebrows, nodding fractionally toward the cylinder. May I have the cylinder section back, your first greatness? The Togorian asked. When I'm done with it, Persh said shortly, his attention still on Mara. No? Very well then. Guards. And abruptly, she leapt up to the throne in front of him. Slashing her claws across the faces of the two bodyguards flanking Persh, she snatched the cylinder section from his hands, slammed it across his head hard enough to stun, and reached her hand into the inner lining. Above the roar of multiple drachnum, bellows came the screech of tearing metal, and just as the inner ring of guards reached Hashi and threw themselves on top of her, she flicked her wrist over their heads. And Mara's lightsaber came spinning across the room toward her. There was a warning shout from someone, but it was already far too late. Mara grabbed the weapon in an iron force grip, yanking it through the drachnum hands trying to slap it out of the air. Down. She barked to Sanja as she caught and ignited the weapon, in the same motion cutting down the two guards flanking her. And the entire audience chamber collapsed into pandemonium. The nearest of the drachnum, too close to use their whips against her, went for their knives instead. They died holding them. Those further back lived a little longer, but not much. With no time to organize, too densely packed together for efficient use of their whips, and facing a weapon that could cut through the lashes with ease, they had no chance at all. Mara slashed through their ranks like a mowing machine, littering the rocky ground behind her with their bodies, a haze of righteous fury clouding her vision. Retribution for Sanja and the other degraded women in the slave pits, retribution for piracy and robbery and cold-hearted murder, retribution for the danger they'd put the wild cards crew in. And suddenly, or so it seemed, it was over. She stood in the middle of the room, lightsaber held high, gasping hard with her exertion. All around her were piles of drachnum bodies. I would not have believed it. Mara spun around. She was pressed against the wall behind the throne, staring at Mara with an expression of stunned disbelief, a half-dozen oozing wounds scattered across the matted fur of her face and torso. How badly are you hurt? Mara called, 
crossing the room toward her. None of the injuries looked serious, but she wasn't familiar enough with Togorian physiology to know for sure. Not badly, she assured her. They lost interest in me very quickly. Lucky for me they did, Mara said grimly, focusing on the false wall behind she, the wall containing the two hidden blaster ports she'd spotted on her first trip through the chamber. Only now there was a second hole, knife blade sized, just beneath each of the ports. And gripped in Hashi's hand was an appropriated drachnum knife, its blade stained with the pale pink of drachnum blood. Thank you, Mara said, gesturing to the wall. I wondered why they never fired at me. They never had time, she said simply. I see that. Thank you. What about Persh? I believe he escaped, she said. Along with many of his guards. But we must hurry, your companion is already gone. What? Mara demanded, looking around again. Sanja was gone, all right. Did Persh take her? No, she left alone, by that door, she pointed. Heading for her ship, no doubt, all set to take off and leave Mara and as she stranded here. Blast it, Mara snarled. Come on. The corridors, not surprisingly, were deserted. Mara led the way, lightsaber in hand, silently berating herself for not expecting a last-minute backblading like this in the first place. Like father, like daughter. And then, almost before she was ready for it, they pushed open one final door, and stumbled into an open courtyard filled with yachts, small freighters, and rows of deadly, spine-winged starfighters. Midway across the yard, a single ship was just lifting off into the air. A Soro Suab 3000 luxury yacht. Is that her? She asked. Yes, Mara said sourly. Like father, like daughter, all right. But there was no time now for the luxury of anger. We'd better find a way out of here before Persh gets what's left of his thugs organized, she told as she. Let's see if any of these other ships are unlocked. She paused, frowning. The yacht, contrary to her expectations, wasn't heading for the sky as fast as Sanja could push it. Instead, it had moved on repulsor lifts to a hovering position a few meters over the center of the courtyard. And even as Mara wondered what in the world Sanja was doing, a pair of turbolaser blasts blazed outward from the underside of the craft into one of the parked starfighters, blowing it into a violent yellow fireball. She snarled something Mara didn't catch over the roar of the flames. Still firing, the yacht swiveled slowly around in a circle, methodically turning the rest of Prussia's potential pursuit craft into scrap metal. Then, maneuvering across to where Mara and she stood, it dropped again to the ground and the hatch popped open. I thought you two would never show up, Sanja's voice called impatiently from the direction of the bridge. Come on, let's get out of here. The guards who'd been watching the outside of Bardron's mansion during Mara's first visit were nowhere to be seen as she and Sanja parked their landspeeder and headed inside. And as it turned out, for good reason. Welcome back, Mara, Card said, rising from his chair beside Bardron's massive desk as Mara and Sanja entered. He was smiling, but Mara could sense the icy anger simmering beneath the pleasant expression. Excellent timing, as always. We've just secured the mansion, and I was about to start putting together an attack force to come after you. You must be Sanja Bardrin. Welcome home as well. Thank you, Sanja said, nodding back. I'm impressed, 
the people who designed this little fortress for my father claimed it would be impossible for anyone to take it. Not intact, at least. I had some professional assistance. Card looked at Bardrin, seated in glowering silence behind his desk. As well as considerable motivation. You may want to explain to your father, later, that playing games with my people this way is not a way to maintain a long and healthy life. Don't worry, Sanja promised darkly. He and I have a great deal to talk about. Starting with his willingness to leave me to rot in Persia's slime pits as long as he got his precious winning gamble back. You wouldn't have been there more than another six hours, Bardrin rumbled. I already had a team assembled to come in after you. Through Prussia's outer defenses, Sanja snorted. They'd have been cut to ribbons before they even hit atmosphere. Mara cleared her throat. Actually, I think you'll find he's been even more devious than you thought, she said, stretching out with the force to Bardrin's mind. She had most of the pieces now, but his emotional reactions would help confirm she was putting them together in the right order. I think he set you up deliberately to be captured by those pirates, knowing they'd send you and the winning gamble straight to Persh. Sanja frowned at her. You can't be serious. What would he gain by that? Mara smiled tightly at Bardrin. Some brand new high-tech prototypes Persh stole from the Uodi corporate. Bardrin's expression remained solidly under control, but his guilty mental twitch was all the confirmation Mara needed. I don't know what you're talking about, he growled. But continue anyway, Card invited, a sly smile touching his lips. Mara had been with him long enough she knew, for him to recognize that she never used this tone of voice when she was just guessing. This is most interesting. Mara looked at Sanja. You remember that Persh mentioned it had only been a week since the Uodi theft. Your father heard about it and decided to steal it from them before Uodi could get organized to retrieve it themselves. He knew that when the pirates gave you to Persh, they'd also give him the winning gamble, and so he rigged that fancy targeting system you told me about to make a complete sensor recording of Persh's defense array on the flight in. Sanja's face had turned to glazed stone. Why, you vac-hearted, manipulative nerf belly, she breathed, her eyes locked on her father's face like twin turbolasers. You deliberately put me through that? I thought someone of Jade's skills would have a better chance of getting out alone, Bardrin cut her off brusquely. And she would have an easier time getting to the winning gamble from Persia's audience chamber instead of the slave quarters, which is why I sent that anonymous tip suggesting he contact the Mrahash of Kvabia about the floater globe. Once we had the winning gamble and could analyze Persia's outer defense array, our private troops could have swept in with ease, rescued you, and destroyed Persia's operation in a single blow. And the Uodi prototypes, Bardrin shrugged. A small bonus. A reward, if you like, for our civic-mindedness in eliminating a particularly noxious slaver. We are business people, Sanja. He looked significantly at Card and I taught you better than to vent business disputes in front of outsiders. Yes, you certainly did. Sanja took a deep breath, then turned to look at Mara. Whatever he promised to pay you, you deserve more. Name your price, Mara looked coolly at Bardrin. You can't afford to pay for what he put me through, she said. But I'll settle for a copy of the winning gamble's tracking record. There's some serious justice I intend to rain on Persia's head, and I don't think I want to trust your father to do it for me. Civic-minded or not, Sanja threw a malicious smile at Bardrin. I'll do better than that. Take the whole ship. What? Bardrin leapt to his feet, 
oblivious to the blaster that had suddenly appeared in Card's hand. Sanja, you are not going to give my ship to these these, he sputtered to a halt. Sanja gave the silence a couple more heartbeats, then looked back at Mara. You already know the access and operating codes, she continued, as if her father hadn't spoken. It's a good ship. Enjoy. Thank you, Mara said. I will. There's also the matter of my fee. Card spoke up. What are you talking about? Bardrin demanded. She already gave Jade more than. I'm not talking about payment for your daughter's rescue. Card cut him off coldly. I'm referring to my fee for not killing you outright over kidnapping my crew. He looked at Sanja. What sort of fee do you want? We'll work something out later. Card told her, putting his blaster away. I'll be in touch. They left the room and headed through the strangely deserted mansion, and it was only as they were descending the final staircase toward the vestibule that Card's earlier comment about having had professional assistance finally became clear. Lurking in the shadow of a carved support pillar where he could cover both the stairway and the door was a silhouette she remembered all too well. I called in a few favors from Counselor Organa Solo, Card murmured in explanation from beside her. It was a very profitable trade. Yes, Mara said, shivering involuntarily as they passed the Nogri warrior and headed down the stairway. I'll just bet it was. Mara? Blowing a drop of sweat off the end of her nose, Mara keyed off the combat practice remote and shut down her lightsaber. Come in, she called. Thought I'd find you here, Card said, glancing around the wild Card's exercise room as he walked in. He she said you'd been spending a lot of time alone out here. Making angry sounds, was how she put it. I've been working out a few frustrations, Mara conceded, snagging a towel and wiping the moisture off her face. How's she doing? Mostly healed, Card said, crossing to one of the resistance benches and sitting down. It was her very first time in a Bacta tank, as it happens. She's rather impressed. We need to do more for her than just get her back to health, Mara said. She really put her neck on the block when she brought my lightsaber into Prusha's palace. I agree, Card said. Though oddly enough, she doesn't see it that way at all. She told me that once she found your lightsaber and realized you were a Jedi, she had no doubt at all that you could handle Precious legions with ease. Mara grimaced. Jedi, I trust you disabused her of that notion? Not really. As far as I'm concerned, you're a Jedi in everything but name. It wasn't that simple, Mara knew. Not nearly that simple. But it also wasn't a subject she wanted to get into right now. Were you able to dig anything out of her as to what sort of reward she might like? She asked instead. I couldn't make any headway at all on that subject on our way off Torpris. According to her, all she's ever wanted was to get out of that demeaning scavenger life she'd been forced into, Card said. It doesn't sound like she has much in the way of marketable skills, though, so I was thinking of offering her a course of study in Starship Operations at our training center. I think she'd like that, Mara nodded. She seemed fascinated with everything about the winning gamble during the flight. Good, Card said. If she proves competent enough after her training, I thought I'd also see if she'd be interested in joining the organization. 
He smiled. Though, whether that would qualify as a reward or a punishment is probably debatable in some circles. The smile faded. Actually, I was wondering if you were finding yourself in one of those particular circles at the moment. Mara felt her lip twist. You do find convoluted ways to bring up these subjects, don't you? It adds variety to conversation, he said. Particularly when the other party to the discussion seems inclined to avoid the issue. Mara sighed. I don't know, Card. I've been feeling, I don't know. Squeezed, I suppose. The responsibilities have been weighing more and more on me lately, and this thing with Bardron seems to have brought it all to a head. I don't like the fact that he picked on us in the first place because we were smugglers and couldn't go to the authorities over the kidnapping of the Wild Cards crew. And I really don't like the fact he was able to manipulate me so easily by threatening them that way. She waved the lightsaber. I feel like I need to get out somewhere. Anywhere. At least for a while. I understand, Card said quietly. It is a crushing responsibility sometimes. He cocked an eyebrow. Fortunately, like all good employers, I've come up with a possible solution. How would you like to go into business for yourself? Mara frowned. Are you throwing me out? Oh, no, Card assured her. Certainly not, unless you yourself want to leave. I was talking about setting you up with a small trading company of your own for a while. A totally legitimate one, of course. Which should help keep opportunists like Ja Bardrin off your back. You'd get a chance to relax away from the perennial intrigues and backblading of the fringe. Get some experience with small business management. And possibly even gain a little more respect among the high noses on Coruscant. That last one's pretty low on my list, Mara said, glowering down at her lightsaber. What do you get out of it? Card waved a hand casually. Oh, just the satisfaction of helping out a loyal and trusted colleague. And of course, getting back a more experienced and relaxed lieutenant when you return to the organization. And if I decide not to come back? A muscle in Card's cheek twitched. I would hate to lose you, Mara, he said quietly. But I would also never try to hold on to you if you truly didn't want to stay. That's not how I do things. Mara fingered her lightsaber. Freedom. Real genuine freedom. I suppose I could try it for a while, she said at last. Where would we pull the startup money and resources from? From Sandra Bardrin, of course, Card said. She still owes me, after all. And now that she has an effective veto over the family's business decisions, her father can hardly do anything to block it. Mara shook her head in disbelief. I really would have expected her to do a lot more to him than just appropriate some of his stock, she said. Certainly given the way she was looking at him when we left. They're business people, Card pointed out. That's what warfare looks like in those circles. And of course, you already have a ship. The winning gamble. Mara blinked. I thought that was the organization's. Sanja gave it to you, not the organization. And you're certainly not going to make a case that you didn't earn it. No, Mara murmured, an odd feeling trickling through her. She'd never owned her own ship before. Never. Even when she was the Emperor's hand, all the ships and equipment she used were Imperial issue and property. Her own ship- Anyway, start thinking about what exactly you want. 
and we can work out the details later, Card said standing up. I'll let you get back to your exercises now. He headed for the door, Card. Duncan's voice came over the exercise room intercom. You there? Yes. Card called toward the speaker. What is it? We've got an incoming transmission from Luke Skywalker, Duncan said. He reports the New Republic raid on Prussia's fortress is over, and all the slaves have been rescued unharmed. He wants to thank you for sending him the defense array data and to discuss your fee for it. Thank you, Card said. Congratulate him. And tell him I'll be right there. The intercom clicked off. You sent Luke the data? Mara asked. It didn't seem like the sort of thing a Jedi Master would get personally involved in. I thought he'd be able to move it on faster than if I tried going through the New Republic command structure. Card said. Apparently, I was right. It must be terrible to be right so often, Mara murmured. It is a heavy burden. Card agreed with a smile. One just has to learn to live with it. I'll see you later. He left, wiping her face again. Mara tossed the towel aside and ignited her lightsaber. A new job, even if it was only temporary, in her own ship, her very own ship. Though of course she would have to change its name. Winning gamble sounded more like something Solo or Calrissian would use. No, she needed something more personal. Something that would harken back to what she'd gone through to earn it—the jade's whip, perhaps, or the jade's sting. No, she smiled. The jade's fire. Keying on the practice remote, feeling more relaxed than she had in weeks, she settled into combat stance and lifted her lightsaber. Yes, this was going to be interesting, very interesting indeed.